right. Just put your hand over your heart, and let's just prepare our hearts to receive what God has for us through His Word. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what, you, what you're doing in our hearts, in our lives, our bodies, physically and emotionally. We thank you that we can be in your presence and enjoy you and just be encouraged by you. And Lord, we just, we just declare that, that the soil of our hearts is very fertile soil, that the seeds of your word will not only be planted deep within our hearts, but will produce fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Because our desire is to honor you, Father. We are followers of Jesus. We don't just carry the label of Christian, but we are truly followers of Jesus. And we desire to bear fruit that would bring you glory. And so we say yes and amen to you. And we thank you for your word. And our hearts are wide open to receive. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I need to change my screen again. Good? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> we've been we've been uh, on a series for the last number of weeks entitled Loving Well in 2017. That's what I believe the theme and just the emphasis the Lord wants us to have this year in the year 2017. And I started sharing this back early in January, part one. So if you were not here, you did not hear that. It's on the website. You can check that out. And then Caleb brought the word and did part two, continuing the theme of loving well. And then Cornell, I believe it was uh, two weeks ago, Cornell shared. You know, I was listening. I, I had a chance to listen to the word this week, Cornell, and but you did a wonderful job. You know, I was thinking uh, two weeks ago, I got I got that bug thing that people had, and so I was experiencing a lot of unpleasantness. The bathroom. I'll show you the details. But uh, you know, I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and, and it's just chaos, as you can imagine. And uh, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I can't, this can't be going on. I gotta preach for a few hours. You can't be doing this. And then uh, I was just weak and was like, oh my goodness, I can't even get up. And I was so grateful to be able to contact Cornell. Uh, I sent the text about three ish, four ish, something like that. And I don't know what time he got it. Six, maybe woke up five or six. And said, hey, bro, can you help me out? I need you to preach. And, and so for him to, at the last minute, to be able to preach, and, and he did an amazing job. And you know, as I was listening to his, his word, and he continued on the theme of loving well. And I was thinking, you know what? This is what he's doing right now. He's loving me well because he took care of me while you had my back. And so I appreciate that. So I want to say I appreciate you. For those of you who have never preached, in front of people before, there's already challenges with that, but having to come up with a message at the last minute, talking about potential stress levels going on, let me just say, that's pretty, that's pretty, can be pretty challenging, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. So anyway, we're talking about loving well in 2017. Something the Lord told me uh, back in the early, it was in the spring of 2016, he, he told me this phrase, he said, CJ, those who love well will have the greatest influence. Those who love well will have the greatest influence. And that's just been rolling around in me. And it's interesting because I've been seeing fruit of that because I've just been encouraging and loving people. It's like all of a sudden they're giving me permission to influence them. They're giving me permission. And you know that, that, that phrase that we're all familiar with, um, People don't care how 
know until you know how much you care. We've all heard that, and we said that. That is true within the realize. When people feel like you care for them, truly care, not caring in a way to manipulate and up so you can get what you want or whatever, but in a true sense of loving people, when they feel like you love them, it's like they give you permission to influence them. And I feel like the Lord is a declaration that has been coming out of me is the Lord is wanting to send out his Daniels. Excuse me, his Josephs. Actually, both of them uh, qualify. But in a sense of, you remember when Joseph, uh, you know, a man of God could interpret dreams. When Pharaoh had need, the Pharaoh who was the most powerful king in the whole, in the whole planet at that time, the Egyptian king. When he had need, he had this, this, this dream that was bothering him. He didn't have any interpretation of it or whatever. God sent Joseph to not only interpret the dream, but after he interpreted the dream, that, that king gave him permission to influence him. And then he ended up being second commanded the whole, on the whole uh, face of the earth. And as a result of his influence, many people were saved. You guys remember that story? And so I believe that God is going to release his Josephs into our community for you to be in a place of influence so you can influence people in powerful positions. Whether it's police officers, whether it's, it's uh, mayors or city managers or, or governors, presidents, whoever. God is calling his sons and daughters to be in a place to bring encouragement, to bring the kingdom, to bring his love into the lives of people who are in high places. And I believe the key to that is love, obviously. In England, and let me rephrase that, it's not just people in high places, it's actually all people. He wants to bring into the lives of people so that you can influence them in a wonderful way so they can connect to the Father and experience the love of their lives. Amen? It's not connecting with them so you can get out your political agenda. Although you may be in a position where you may be next to or called alongside a very influential person, and he may... He or she may ask you for wisdom. And then God gives you an opportunity to bring his wisdom into that situation, not your political ideologies. There is a difference. Are you with me? But the key is loving people. Loving people with no agenda. Just loving them because they're people. Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12, it says, In the last days... Talk, excuse me, talking about in the last days. Jesus was talking about the last days to his disciples and those he was preaching to. It says, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. So Jesus is describing the last, the end, end of the age. And he says, this is what it's going to look like. People are going to turn away from him and betray him. People are going to hate each other. False prophets will appear and will deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Now, that word love, I've heard this from a preacher before. That, love, that word love is, is agape. And he says agape is God's kind of love, which can only be experienced by Christians. So he's saying that the love of Christians will grow cold. And whether it's Christians or, or, or whoever... As you can see in our, cult, in our society right now, you can see that people are really having a challenge loving each other, aren't they? I mean, it's, it's the political atmosphere and environment is, is heated, it's charged, and, and everybody's jockeying for position and, and killing each other and, and, and attacking each other with words and, and all kinds of chaos 
is going on. And so I, that's why I believe this time, this time frame that we're in right now, can be, should be, and can be the church's finest hour. Because it is getting so dark, it is so full of, there's, it's, uh, the atmosphere is full of fear, fear of animosity, hatred, and all that kind of stuff. And how many of you realize the Bible says that fear has torment? People are being tormented in their emotions because they're full of fear. They're being tormented because they're full of fear. The Bible says fear has torment. The Bible also says perfect love casts out fear. So we can walk into situations where it's charged with fear. We can bring the presence of God into that situation and that fear be gone, be dispelled. Amen? And we're going to talk about some practical ways of how we can do this. Because love is not just a theory. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a, a good ideology. But there's all kinds of action behind it. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10 you know, these, we would all agree, or at least most of us would agree, that we are in the end times. We believe that Jesus is coming back very, very soon. And as a result, people, you know, it's end times, and they're looking for the false prophet and the beast and, and antichrist and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, man, what are we going to do? What do we do? What do we do? What are we supposed to be doing? Should we stock up a bunch of food? Should we do this or that? Well, first of all, do what you feel like the Lord is encouraging you to do as far as gathering and stocking up food and that kind of thing. If you feel like the Lord is putting that on your heart, then go for it. If you don't feel like he's encouraging you to do that, then I wouldn't encourage you to do that. Don't just do things based on fear, but do things based on what you believe the Lord is telling you. And you have to be careful what you're hearing because if you're, if you're surrounding yourself and you live in an environment of fear, then you're going to hear stuff and it's probably not going to be the Lord. And you're going to get yourself in all kinds of challenging situations. But if you want to know what it is we're to be doing in these last days, I believe the Bible makes it very clear what you and I should be doing, what we're charged and challenged and encouraged by the Lord to do, and how he's wanting us to partner with him in the last days. So let's see what he says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. One translation says, the end of the world is close. And how many of you guys realize this was written about 2,000 years ago? So if it was close 2,000 years ago, how many of you realize it's a whole lot more closer now? But the Christians, the saints, were, were, they were concerned because the end was near then. There was a lot of persecution. And actually, the context of this passage is a lot of persecution going on, Christians being targeted and tortured and, and that kind of thing. And King Nero was, was definitely at the head of a lot of that persecution. It says, but the end of all things is at hand, therefore. The end is near, therefore. Here's what you to do. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. In the, in the first two, I, I covered in, in part one back early January, so I would encourage you to listen to that if you, if you were not. I believe that's pertaining to your relationship with Jesus. Praying to God, praying to the Father, praying to Him is talking about your relationship with Him. In these last days, the number one thing that you need to maintain and make sure that you're keeping a priority is your relationship with Jesus. Are you hearing me? And what does that mean? Doesn't mean just, oh, I love Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. I sing songs to Him on Sunday mornings. That means daily you're spending time with Him. Having a good relationship with Him is like having a good relationship with your spouse. It's not just saying, I do on that wedding day and said, okay, now we just do our own thing and, and everything will be fine. 
If you want to have a good relationship with your spouse, it takes work, it takes effort, it takes intentionality, it takes time, right? And we're not talking out of legalism. Well, I love Lisa, so I got to take her out again. I got to spend time talking to her because I want to be a good husband. That's not what it is. It's because I love her, I'm going to do these things to keep our relationship strong. And it's the same thing with the Lord. And you know, he, when he defined, when he talks about, he uses marriage to give us a picture of our relationship with the Father. And so the things that it takes to keep a strong relationship with our spouse as far as time and just being together and, and doing for her what I know she delights in and what pleases and encourages her, same thing with the Lord. If I don't spend time with her, our relationship's going to fall apart. If I don't spend time with him, my relationship on my side is going to fall apart. So I have to be intentional. So number one, we have to be disciplined and um, serious in our prayer. Our prayer life needs to be, that's the first thing he said. Number two, he says, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. So remember, in times, here's what you need to do. Be consistent, be serious in your prayers, and above all, love one another fervently. So if you're saying, Father, what do you want me to do since the time is drawing near? Love people well. And number three, and this is the one we're going to camp on today. It says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And the last one says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We'll talk about that one next time. But right here it says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling, without grumbling. So loving well looks like hospitality. So if you're wanting a kingdom assignment, Father, what is your assignment to me? How can I partner with you now? He says, hospitality. Hospitality. And what does that mean? To be hospitable, generous to guests, to be given to hospitality, to be your lover of hospitality, to use hospitality. I forgot to look up that Greek word for hospitality, but that's what it means. To be hospitable, generous to guests, be given to hospitality, be a lover of hospitality, use hospitality. So that's what he's saying right there when he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, what does it look like? What does hospitality look like? It's intentional fellowship, intentionally getting with people for fellowship. It's, um, traditionally, it's having people in your home. But that's not only what it has to be. You know, traditionally, having fellowship or having, being hospitable, inviting people into your home and having fellowship but it's not just limited to that. And also it's getting together with others over a meal, dessert, coffee, etc. So typically fellowship looks like getting together intentionally with people. And it's a lot of times over a meal, over a snack, over a drink, that kind of thing. So we're talking very basic and very simple, nothing very complicated. So why is this so important? Why is hospitality or fellowship so important? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So the purpose of fellowship is for us to get together to encourage each other and to stir each other up for love and good works. And then it ends, it says, especially as the day of his return is getting closer. So again, in the end times, 
Things are drawing to a close where Jesus is coming back. And he says, especially now, get together. And it says, do not forsake the assembling. Do not forsake getting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, when I talk to people, <clears throat> Christians, saints, that are having a hard time, that are, being, that are challenged, you know, we all go through things, we, we, we get frustrated, we're discouraged because life and circumstances are just, are just attacking and hitting us. And a lot of people extend or, or um, make the challenge a lot worse by doing this one thing. And every time, I believe all of us are, are motivated to do this one thing when we're going through hard times, and that is isolate. I mean, how many of you, when you're going through a rough time, your tendency is to pull away? Pull away to be by yourself. Now, what happens when you pull away and you get by yourself? You're left with your thoughts of negativity because in that season that you're going through, you're not full of encouragement, right? So you're, you're isolating yourself. You want to be left alone. Don't bother me. Get away from me. So you isolate yourself. So you're left to the negative thoughts and the voice of the enemy who's longing to devour you. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, I think, 8 or 7, somewhere around there. <clears throat> excuse me. It says the enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Some interesting things in there. One, he's just roaring. And two, he's seeking whom he may devour, which means he doesn't just have free access to everybody. So he's looking for those that he has opportunity to devour. And if you look at, now I haven't researched this, but I heard this, so if it's wrong, don't blame me. But what I heard is like lions or, or something like lions, if they're, if they're after a bunch of gazelle or whatever, they do things strategically to isolate. You know, they're all in a herd, but they're doing things to isolate, to get one or two by themselves. And then when they get by themselves, guess what happens? They pounce on them. See, there's safety in the herd, but you get isolated. And you'll see that if you watch these, these animal kingdom shows or whatever, you'll see the cheetahs or whatever, they'll, they'll isolate a gazelle and all, poor gazelle all by itself is going to get pounced on. The enemy is seeking, roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. I believe good prey for the enemy are those who isolate themselves. <clears throat> and how does he get you? It's not, he doesn't have authority over us. But if we partner with him, then we give him permission to destroy us. How do we do that? We get isolated. We get discouraged. We're negative. We're frustrated. We start saying stupid things about ourselves. <clears throat> we start putting ourselves down. So you're making declarations of how bad you are, how horrible you are, and you're just feeding on that. And then you're giving him access to begin to plant thoughts in your head that are not from God. Remember, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So what is his motivation towards you, specifically in that situation? And so when you are in trouble, the last thing you need to do is isolate yourself. <clears throat> so this is why hospitality and fellowship is so important. He says because we need to motivate and encourage one another to love and good works. 
especially as we see the day drawing near. So hospitality is not just about having good food or a nice cup of coffee or a nice piece of pie, although I'm for all of that, minus the coffee. Unless I'm drinking it with my wife, then I'll have some. But it's not just about the nice elements of fellowship. Those are nice, but those things serve as a tool to foster the main ingredient. That's the fellowship. That's the encouragement. When you fellowship with someone and you're encouraging them, you are putting courage back inside of them. To encourage means to depart, to deposit courage. And that's what we're called to do. Every single one of us are called to the ministry of encouragement. Know how I know that? What's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit? Would you say it's to encourage you, to encourage one another? Remember the Bible says, let only the words come out of your mouth that are good for edifying and building up those who hear. Those are the kind of words that every believer should be using. So we all have been given the ministry of encouragement. And the tool to deliver that encouragement is fellowship and hospitality. You with me so far? So we see that hospitality is important because it's an avenue for which people can come together and we encourage one another. Now, hospitality killers, what will keep you from stepping into this important biblical ministry? First of all, you have to realize and remember that this is not just a suggestion. Remember, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 10 aren't suggestions from Jesus saying, you know, if you ever get around to it, if you're bored and want something to do, I got some things you could do. One of them being hospitality. Oh, but don't, I mean, it's not that serious and important, but just if you want something to do. How many of you realize that's not what he's saying, right? He's saying, sons and daughters, I've done everything possible so my kingdom can be manifest through you. I desire for you to partner with me so we can build up my saints. So he's calling, commissioning you to partner with him to engage in a very powerful ministry. And it's very important, especially in these last days. How many of you would realize that even right now in this room, there may be a number of your brothers and sisters who are discouraged right now? And you may not even recognize it because we're all smiling, we're all doing good. But in this very room, there could be brothers and sisters who are discouraged and need your ministry of encouragement. Amen? So hospitality killers, what will keep us from stepping into this very important biblical ministry? Number one, excuses. Excuses will keep you from engaging in this ministry. For example, I don't have time for that. I agree, Pastor CJ, I know hospitality is important. I know, but I just don't have time. Just don't have time. Do you realize that we always make room for the things we value? We always make room for the things that we value. Would you agree with that? I mean, how many of you busy people had time to watch Kevin Durant go off on us last night? So if we always make things, if we always make room for the things we value, then it's not a time issue. It's a values issue. If I don't have time for hospitality, it's because I do not value hospitality. 
plain and simple. Plain and simple, okay? So that's the first excuse. Another one is I can't afford it. I can't afford to have people over. I can't afford to buy people meals. I can't afford, I can't afford. But see, we can be creative. It doesn't have to be expensive. For example, you can meet with somebody, say, hey, brother, let's get together. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Let's meet at McDonald's. Or, you know, it can be as simple as that. Not that expensive, because the, the, the coffee or the food, that, remember, that's not the main thing. It's the fellowship. It's the getting together. That's the main thing. So we don't want to let cost keep us from engaging in a ministry that can make all the difference in the world into my brother and sister. <clears throat> a cup of coffee could save someone's life. You taking the time to get with somebody can make all the difference in the world in a pivotal decision that they're about to make. See, this is important, and I make no apologies for emphasizing the importance of this ministry. You know, in, in, when we think of hospitality, having people over our house, it doesn't have to necessarily be for a big dinner. You know, you can say, hey, why don't you guys come over tomorrow at 7 o'clock, and we'll have popcorn and, and iced tea or coffee or or uh, we'll have brownies, or, you know, it can be something very simple. It doesn't have to be a big dinner. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Number, or C, another excuse, my house is too small, or it's too messy, or it's too ugly. My house is too small, too messy, or too ugly. I'm embarrassed of my house. I'm ashamed of my house. It's too messy, or it's too small. Do what you can to clean up your house, if that's the case. But use what you've gotten, what you have already. Don't wait until you get a bigger or better house. We're always tempted to think that what we have in our hands now is not good enough. You know, one thing, the Bible teaches that if we're faithful with what we already have, then he can entrust us with much more. So we're always thinking, if I just get into something bigger or better, then I will begin to engage in hospitality. It's like, you know, if, or if I get more money, if I win the lottery or whatever, then I'll really give. People think when I'm rich, oh, yeah, I'll give, I'll tithe, I'll do all that. If you're not tithing with the little bit you have, you're not going to tithe with the whole bunch. If you are not able to manage the little bit that you have now, you cannot and will not be able to manage more. It's a biblical principle. So you take what you have, and you use it to the best of your ability. If you feel like your house is cluttered or dirty or small or whatever, then you know you say, okay, I, I see the importance of this. My goal is to take care of this, but right now in the meantime, I'm not going to say, I'm going to wait until all this is ready. I'm going to be creative. Call up a family and say, hey, can we meet at McDonald's or somewhere? We'd like to treat you guys to some cookies and tea or something. And just get together. And then in the meantime, do what you can to clean up the house. I mean, that's what we've been doing. It's like, man, look at this place. Look at all this mess. Look at this clutter. And what we'll do sometimes, we'll say, okay, we have this we're trying to clean up. We will and say, hey, how would you like to come over in two weeks? So, like, okay, now we've got two weeks to clean up this mess. <laughs> 
See, because you're giving yourself a deadline, you're being intentional. If you say, you know what, we will call when we get this mess cleaned up. How many of you realize the mess isn't going to get cleaned up? I'm a man of experience. If I don't have a deadline, I'm not motivated. It's like, okay, honey, we got three more days. And sometimes we're killing ourselves trying to clean up or whatever we need to do. But we've learned to not let that be an excuse to keep us from having people get, get, to get together with us. And another excuse is I have young kids, a bunch of young kids. My kids are too young. I have six kids. Four of them are grown, but at one point, our four older ones were younger, and we had them close together, so we had a bunch of little kids. And we didn't allow that to be an excuse, although it could have been possibly a legitimate one. But what we learned to do is we learned to train our kids so they can be a blessing to people. You know, if you have four little kids, especially boys, because us boys like to be fun, rowdy, loud, and, and just bouncing all over the place. If you invite people over to that environment of four young boys that are just going crazy, how many of you know, one, there's not going to be a lot of fellowship going on, and two, it's not going to be a very encouraged environment to be in. People are going to be stressed out, you know. That kid's about to run me over. That kid's about to knock over my glass or whatever. So we learn to train our children. We learned to train them as they were growing up. We learned to do some practical things that we learn is learning to train your children to be able to play nicely and quietly on a blanket full of toys. So, okay, Trey, you're going to sit here for about 15 minutes and you're going to play with these toys. Brian, you're going to sit over here, play with these toys. And then as they're playing, because they've been trained to do that, we're able to have fellowship and talk to people without having to kill kids. You see what I'm saying? And then as our kids got older, we began to invite them into the process of fellowship and hospitality, and they, became, they began to be a part of it, of the process, instead of something we had to endure until they got older. So train your children to be a blessing to people. Let them be a part of the hospitality ministry, or train them to quietly play while you are visiting. You know, I want to say that... that uh, my pastor, Dale and Teresa, over the years, they've been the ones who have inspired me, and probably Lisa, but they've inspired me the most when it comes to this ministry of hospitality. They would invite us over to their house. Um, back then, we only had four kids, so we had a smaller family back then. But they invited me, me and Lisa and the four kids. Teresa would make a wonderful meal. I mean, her meals were so anointed, my boys would go crazy over the salad. We would talk days and days about her salad. And it was, I mean, it was a beautiful salad. I don't know. I think it was just the anointing. It was just, it was just uh, going into their home, beautiful home, nice and clean. And we had a wonderful meal. We had amazing fellowship. And we just had a great time. All six of us. And they did that often. We've been in their house often. All my four little ones been in their house often. And so I thought, man, I want to do this. I want to do this ministry of hospitality. But the thing that I was having a hard time with was, although I was inspired by them, I was also intimidated by their level of excellence. If you don't know Dale and Teresa, they're, very, they're people of excellence. Everything they did was excellent. So when they invited us into their home, it's like, wow, this is nice. Man, this food is great. Except for the cottage cheese she would try to make me eat. 
Other than that, everything was wonderful. But I was intimidated because it's like I, fall, I fell into the trap of comparison. And I was thinking, man, if I want to do this, it's got to look like what they did. And I didn't feel like we could do that. And so for a while, I was too intimidated to even try to even attempt to move and participate in that ministry. Now, my house is not a palace. I live in a double-wide mobile home. We have old furniture. We have holes in some of the bedroom walls where my sons used to live. Don't ask me how those holes got there. Some of the doors to our home don't even have doorknobs on them. In our kitchen floor is a huge area of missing tile that has a rug over it so you don't notice it. But, of course, the dog moves the rug out of the way so you can see this big hole in the floor. Often have piles of laundry in various places in the home. Animals running all over the place, inside and out. Some of my windows don't even have blinds on them. Now, I'm not talking about in the past. I'm talking about current. I'm talking about right now. And there are places where I forgot to replace the trim after painting the walls. And there's unfinished projects all over the house. And I had a house full of kids. Now, I compared my lack of palace to their beautiful home. I said, there's no way. I can't have people in my house to see this. Many of you have been in our home. Maybe you didn't notice the things I just spelled out to you or, or just admitted. Now I got to go fix them. <laughs> that was not smart. But what we learned to do, we received the encouragement from Pastor Dale and Teresa. But then the Holy Spirit set me free. He said, CJ, don't try to be like them. You be you. You and Lisa do you. And so we began to do us. We began to have people over. We began to uh, just do things like I said. And as my kids got older, it became a family ministry. So, all right, kids, we have company coming over tomorrow. That means everybody turns into a slave. I get off the whip, whoops, get to work. That's why I had six kids. Lots of free labor. No, but it all became something that we all enjoyed doing together. Well, we didn't necessarily enjoy cleaning the house, to be honest with you, but we did it. We got it done because we had a task. We knew that tomorrow the so-and-so family was coming over. And so together we all chipped in. Everybody had their assignments, and we got it done. And then when the kids would come over, my boys were of age, a couple of them were of age, where they would even take care of and play with the little kids that the families brought over. And they would do creative, crazy stuff like make movies. They said, Dad, check this movie out that we made. Remember the cannons? Y'all remember the movies? Where are the cannon girls? Okay, I guess they're probably, they're working. But they would make movies. They would do all kinds of stuff. And so we're able to talk with the parents, and the kids are all playing. Everybody's having a good time. And people would leave encouraged, and we would be encouraged. So I'm saying all this to say, let's not let excuses rip us off from this powerful ministry that will make an impact on people's lives. Okay, that was all under the first reason, first, the first thing that will keep you from participating. The second thing is holding on to a victim identity or victim mentality. And what that looks like is when you say, well, why doesn't anybody reach out to me? You know, as you hear me talking about hospitality, your main thought is, well, I hope someone invites me over. I hope somebody does this for me. 
And maybe they will, maybe they won't. But don't wait for somebody to do it for you. You take the initiative and you say, you know what? I am going to participate in this ministry. A person with this mentality most often sees themselves as one needing to be reached out to or minister to, and they rarely see themselves as one who can actually minister in this capacity. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you're born again, then you have the ability to participate in this ministry in a powerful, effective way. We all have our issues we're dealing with. We all have our challenges, our circumstances. But we cannot let that be an excuse or hinder, hinder us from participating. You know, people in this situation, they think their circumstances, they think when their circumstances change, then they will be able to do something. But the reality is, is your circumstances will most likely, will most likely change, but then it will be a different set of circumstances that will keep you from moving out. It's like, okay, when these circumstances change, when I'm not in this situation anymore, or when my house is not this way, or I have a bigger house or whatever, you're thinking circumstances, when they change, I will do this. Your circumstances may change, they probably will change, but then what will happen is there will be some other circumstances that will continue to keep you from doing that, from reaching out. When you allow your circumstances to determine your direction, you will always be held hostage by your circumstances. When you allow your circumstances to determine your direction, you will always be held hostage by your circumstances. Do the best you can within the current set of circumstances. Some of you will remember or know Cecil Shields. A brother that used to come to church here, he moved to Perry. But Cecil was a single man in his mid to late 50s, lived out at 40 North or Stone Gate, excuse me, for you new people. He started experiencing very poor health a little while ago because of his diabetes that he was battling. He developed poor eyesight. He had one of his legs amputated because of the diabetes, and he started experiencing other serious health issues. He needed lots of physical help, but he didn't complain a lot. I personally never heard him complain at all. Cecil did not carry a victim mentality. Matter of fact, he was always telling me about the people that he's been reaching out to, the people he's praying for, people he's telling Jesus about. There's a man, when I'd, I'd go visit Cecil, when I left one time at 40 North, I, I saw these people sitting outside, and I went and was talking to them. And there was a man there in a wheelchair that I met and talked to a little bit, and he says um, he knew Cecil, and he was telling me how much of a nice guy Cecil was and how he even invited him to church. And I think he said he came to church one time. Not 100% sure on that. But I found out from Cecil that Cecil led this man, this particular man, to the Lord. Cecil, the one with a leg missing, the one struggling with diabetes, the one who's a single man living in an apartment in 40 North, led this man to the Lord. And then I found out about, well, I found out this week from Cecil that that man, about two weeks ago or a week ago, passed away. And this is a young guy. I mean, he's probably maybe 50s. Maybe. And he died from some infection. But guess where that man is? Because of the ministry of a person who wouldn't take time to feel sorry for himself. 
Now, if anybody could get a pass to feel sorry for themselves, it would be Cecil Shields. But he refuses to accept that pass. He says, no, thank you. And talking about an inspiration, he's one of my heroes. An inspiration, talking about hospitality. One time Cecil said, hey, CJ, he called me up. Hey, CJ, I'd like to invite you, Lisa, and Benjamin and Julie to my house for dinner. I said, did you say food? I said, dude, what time? We went over to his house. He, he made a home-cooked meal. I mean, Cecil was a professional cook. The dude could throw down. Cooked us a, a meal, enchiladas, something. I won't talk too much because I'm getting hungry. But he cooked us a wonderful meal, even made a special meal for the kids because he thought the meal, dish he was making might be too hot, too hot for them. So he made them some pizza pockets. Well, my kids ate all the pizza pockets plus what we were eating. It's like, Benjamin, slow down, dude. So we're sitting in Cecil's apartment out at 40 North or Stonegate. He has a dining room table and four chairs, and he has two recliners. It's all the furniture he has. So there wasn't even enough furniture for us to sit on. So we sat in the chairs in his dining room. We talked. We laughed. We had a good time, had a great meal. We left full and encouraged. He refused to wear the, the victim mentality. So if anybody has an excuse, I would say it'd be Cecil. But he refused to live behind the excuses. So what does loving well look like? It looks like hospitality. It looks like hospitality. What else does love look like? It looks like listening to people. Do you realize that one of the most powerful things you can do, and a lot of times encouraging people, is simply listening to them? I was telling Lisa this yesterday. There was a lady that came to my office several months ago. And some of us would know this lady, you know, years and years ago. Her and her family used to come to church here. And she's battling some very challenging circumstances. She came to my office, and she sat there probably 45 minutes to an hour. And she shared all this stuff. And the more she was sharing, the more overwhelmed. I was like, dang, this is some rough stuff. And so as she's sharing these things, she's just going on and on and just sharing and sharing and sharing. And I'm thinking, hmm, how can I help in this situation? Because I had no idea how to help her. And then she said, wow, I feel so much better. Thank you. And she got up and left. I'm like, what? I said, anytime. <laughs> well, that was easy. You know, just listening sometimes is so powerful, and it can make a difference in people. And I've had that happen more than once, where people just getting something off their chest, getting, just being able to share. Somebody valuing them by giving them their time. Showing them how valuable you, they are by your time. You know, I learned this, I learned this powerful lesson a couple of years ago. Benjamin, Benjamin and I, my youngest son, uh, the Holy Spirit gave us this ministry idea. For those of you who don't know, um, Shalotsky's, either the owner or the manager, I can't remember which one it was, the godly man. And what he did is he sent 
us pastors, pastors in Stillwater, he sent us a card, and it was, it was a card that was, it was uh, Feed the Poor. And I could take, with that card, I could find a poor person and take them into Shalotsky's, and I could even have my whole family with me, and then Shalotsky's would feed all of us for free. So I got this card, and I thought, hmm, how can we do this? So one time, we kind of accidentally stumbled upon it. I had Benjamin with me, and we uh, fed these people. And when we did say, hey, because they needed help, we helped them with some groceries and everything. And I said, have you guys eaten lunch yet? They said, not yet. I said, hey, you want a sandwich? So we went over to Shilosky, sat down, let them order what they wanted, dessert and everything. And we sat down, and Benjamin and I just listened. And her and the, the guy and gal, they just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. We had a great time. We gave him a ride home, and that was the end of it. So Benjamin and I thought, this is pretty cool. Let's do this. So we run around town looking for homeless people. Couldn't find any. I don't know where they are. <laughs> Couldn't find any. I said, this isn't working. So it's like, Lord, what can we do to just, just bless people? He said, call the homeless shelter. Duh. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. He said, call the homeless shelter. So I called the homeless shelter, talked to the lady in charge, and told her who I was. There's rare, rare do I use my credentials as a pastor, but sometimes I feel it necessary so people don't think you're just some weird whatever. Well, actually, they probably think that anyway. But I told her, I said, hi, my name's CJ. I'm a pastor here in town, and I would just like to invite some of your residents out for lunch. So if you have three to six residents who would like a free lunch, I'll be by 11.45 to pick them up. She goes, Okay. And so we stopped by. We had probably two or three. Took them to Shalotsky's. They get whatever you want. They got whatever we, they wanted. We sat down, and we just listened. So tell me about yourself. What's, what's going on? And they would tell us their stories. And you know, one thing that was interesting, we began to do this over and over and over and over again with just people out of the shelter, all of them homeless. But to listen to their stories, and a lot of the stereotypes were destroyed, because I would think everybody who's homeless probably because of drugs or because of bad choices in that kind of way. But I've learned that there's all kinds of circumstances that cause a person to end up in that situation, and, and some of them not their own fault. But here was the interesting thing we got to do was we'd sit there, have them tell us their story, and they would just talk, 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 talk. And I felt like the Lord, because I'm thinking, okay, I need to fix them. I need to help them. I need to do something. And the Lord say, just listen. And I didn't realize how empowering just listening to them was. And, and you could tell, I could tell, that some of them were looking at me kind of trying to size me up. You know, some of these people were street people. They're pretty smart. And they know how to read people. And I think they were sizing me up to see, okay, what's your angle? What what are you after? You trying to sell me something or what? No. Just want to hear what's going on. And so we did that time and time and time again. Then the Lord would allow me to talk. And he'd give me words for them. And I would just begin to, I, I, asked them, I started asking them a question. I said, what are your dreams? Like, what are you talking about? Like a long time ago, maybe when you were a kid or a young person, what did you dream about doing someday? 
And they say, oh, I just want to do this. I just want to do this. And, and some of it was pretty, pretty amazing stuff. I remember one lady, she couldn't tell me anything. She says, I don't know. I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? She goes, she's been in survival mode for so long that the dreams were just cut off and dead. I began to prophesy over some of them, speak life to them, call their dreams back to life, empower people by telling them things that I felt like the Father wanted them would. I felt like the Father wanted to say to them, tears flowing, encouragement being imparted, all over a sandwich, all over just listening, intentional listening to people. And then my son told me, he says, you know what, Dad? Uh, my youngest son, Benjamin, who did this with me, I noticed that Sometimes dads, I'm going to say this, sometimes, and moms, we don't know that the ideas that the Lord's putting in our heart, it's setting our kids up for future ministry. There are things that I did with all my older sons that now they are pursuing in a greater way. You know, for example, Trey told me, my oldest son, he told me years ago, I gave him this assignment, I'd forgotten about it, but we homeschooled them. And they would be at, be at work with me, and I had Trey with me, and I gave him an assignment. And he says, Dad, do you remember that assignment you gave me? And he told me this a couple years ago. I was like, no. I was 11 or 12, and you gave me this assignment. It was about being attentive. I told him to write a story about being attentive. And he wrote a story about being attentive, a very awesome story at age 11. Well, he's a writer now. He does comedy. He writes comedy. He's working on a book. He, he's a writer. And he says it started back, way back then. I used to take my kids out with me, just praying for people in Walmart, just doing stuff, just make up stuff. Holy Spirit, what can we do today? Because I always had one of my boys with me. And now, fast forward to Benjamin. Here we are doing this ministry idea that the Holy Spirit gave us. And then Benjamin has told me more than once, he says, you know, Dad, when I grow up, you know what I want to do? He says he wants to be a, a professional chef and have his own restaurant. He says, you know what I'm going to do, Dad, when I have my own restaurant? I said, what's that? He says, I'm going to give pastors these poor cards so they can invite the homeless. So I'm going to make sure in my restaurant, poor people can come in and eat for free. It's like, hmm, Interesting. So let's not see our kids as being in a way, being a hindrance from us participating in hospitality, but see our kids as wonderful weapons, wonderful ministry gifts to bring a, even a higher level of encouragement and empowerment to a, in a, into a ministry in a situation that will make a difference in people's lives. Hospitality. Hospitality. We have to uh, quit making excuses. Well, he, actually, you can make all the excuses you want, and I, I promise you this, the excuses will rob you of powerful ministry. You know, a lot of times we're like, I want to know God's will for my life. I mean, God, I just want to serve you. What does God want me to do? And see, we're, we're tuning our ears, listening 
to that frequency of him saying, I want you to go to Africa to preach the gospel. I want you to go to, to China. I want you to go to Mexico. And see, we're listening on that frequency and we're missing him because he's on a different frequency. He's saying, invite some people over to your house. Invite, invite that brother to coffee. Because we're trying to make it so grandiose and so big and unattainable when he's saying, no, I want it to be simple yet powerful. You know, something that happened recently that blessed me, speaking of hospitality, and I'm not going to call this brother out because I didn't ask him permission, so but he does go to church here, and he happens to be here this morning. But all my kids were home, minus one, for Christmas. And, and so there's a whole mess of us. And this brother says, I want to get to, I want to meet your kids. Can I take you guys out to dinner? So he took us, I said, did you say food? That's all you have to say, food, and you have my attention. So we went out to um, that new pizza place, Pie 5, or yeah, Pie 5. All made our pizzas and sat down and just had a wonderful time of fellowship. And he was talking to my, hey, so what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, just talking to my, all my uh, grown sons. I thought, that's so cool. Excuses will keep you from doing some crazy cool stuff. Would you stand with me? Now, if, if some of you are maybe too intimidated, don't know where to start, you're afraid to reach out and invite people, and you need to practice on somebody, <laughs> especially if you want to work on that brownie recipe with vanilla ice cream, you know, I'm just, just randomly thinking of ideas. But let's close our eyes, and, and we're just going to allow Holy Spirit just to continue to do what he's wanting to do. And, and I just want to encourage you, this message is not intended to show you what you're not doing right. Because I know a lot of you can think, oh, 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 I didn't even think about hospitality. Oh, man, am I a failure? Oh, am I bad? No. If you're hearing that, that is not Holy Spirit. That is not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is... Son, daughter, let's do some wild adventures together. Let's do some amazing things that can really encourage my sons and daughters. And I'm inviting you to come with me. And maybe you might feel that you're far away, that, man, whether it's my house or whether it's this circumstance, whether it's my kids or whatever, you're thinking, I can't. My circumstances right now really are a hindrance. Set goals. Set small goals. And in the meantime, do what you can do. If it's meeting somewhere, do that. If you don't have a car, call someone up and say, hey, I would like to take you out for coffee. Can you come pick me up tomorrow at 5 o'clock? They give you a ride to coffee or whatever, and then you treat them to coffee. We can be creative in all kinds of wonderful ways. So Holy Spirit, we just, we just ask you right now to help us to see what it is that might be hindering us or what, what we may be hiding behind, 
or what we may be, what we may be allowing to hinder us that we don't even recognize. I thank you, Father, that you're making your grace available. Your grace is just poured out all over the place. Because we do humble ourselves and we realize we can't do this without you. And we do recognize that this is you saying, this is your assignment that you're offering to us. So we thank you for grace. We thank you for wisdom, how we can move forward. And we thank you for your anointing that already resides in us and wants to rest heavily upon us to be shared, to be dispensed. So, Father, we thank you for your invitation. We accept your invitation because we know that in the end times, many people are discouraged. Many people are going through some crazy hardships and trials. And your answer, Father, may be our time of fellowship with that person over a piece of pie, over a hot cup of coffee. So we say yes to you, Jesus, and we thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you guys have an incredible week, and don't forget to contact Johnny. Oh, yeah, and tonight, the uh, 6 o'clock, the prayer meeting at First Baptist, and Johnny will be out in the hallway, so if you want to talk to him, uh, talk to Todd about connecting for Colorado. And any other announcements that I'm forgetting about. You guys have an amazing week. God bless you.